This is a special world report with a friend of Mejigoria. So many people watching the world now are puzzled about what to do. People are getting more and more frightened. What do you do? Yes, you can say we've been following Our Lady. She still wants to pray, to be holy. But the population of the whole world, what can they do? There's one thing we can do, is what we did in the past. Our nation has never been in such danger as it is now. And yes, I'm including the Civil War, as bad as that was. World War II never had been in so much danger as this moment now. What can we do? The only thing that we can, come together, to be together, come from all across from the whole United States, July 1st to July 5th, to plead and beg through our prayers together. I want to play the call to come here, and at the end of the broadcast, another call to come here. It's the one spot in the whole United States, and therefore affecting the whole world, of what Our Lady has done in this valley through nine consecrations, all of which Our Lady was pleased with. There are some horrible things beyond what you can imagine that's taking place right now. But first we go in those things. We put out this call to come. Society today is driven by atheistic patterns who say that they do not need God. Yet, Our Lady tells us, without God, you can do nothing. Are we to stand idle and watch society and culture crumble around us? What can we do? We no longer have to stand still. We can take action. July 1st through 5th at Caritas, Alabama, gather with others from across the United States to re-consecrate the United States of America back to God. Five days, July 1st through 5th at Caritas, Alabama. For more information, visit medj.com, spelled M-E-J dot com, or call Caritas in the U.S. 205 July 1st through 5th at Caritas of Birmingham. Yesterday, we spent most of our day with an Italian vendor. He calls on us. He's not been back to Italy for five years. He just returned a month ago, visiting his family. And he told us, sadly, that the people have changed and that he didn't want to go back. 
Six months ago, we had another Italian from Rome. He stayed with us for a week. When he got back home, he wrote a letter to us saying, I have no future in Italy, and he wants to come back here to Caritas. All the nations right now depends on the United States, and the United States depends on Our Lady, and Our Lady depends on us. Italy, as other nations in Europe, are in serious, serious, serious conditions. We did a broadcast, March 22, on the way of sainthood. The first step is being blessed. There was a nun in 1959. Sister Elena had apparition of the Virgin Mary. I always scoff at many of these people say, we see the Virgin Mary, this, etc. But Sister Elena has credibility because the church is given the first step to her to be blessed. She was told by Our Lady about the future. That hadn't happened when she was alive. It's happening now while you're alive. So we're going to take a clip of that broadcast last year, how quickly things have changed, and how accurate what she says. Europe is far more in trouble than we are, but we're headed toward the same thing. Listen to this clip and pay real strong attention to the conditions of the world of what you're about to hear now. Blessed Sister Elena died in 1961. In 2011, the Church declared her blessed. During her life as a nun, Blessed Elena suffered the wounds of the Passion including the stigmata. Jesus and Our Lady gave her many things concerning the future of the world, which will be repeated here with more prophecies that follow. On Good Friday, April 7, 1950, Our Lady told Blessed Elena, See how Russia will burn. And all this fire is not that which will fall from the hands of men, but will be hurled directly from the angels. Four years later, April 16, 1954, again on Good Friday, this time Jesus said to Blessed Elena, The governments of the people have risen like demons incarnated. And while they speak of peace, they prepare for war with the most devastating implements to destroy peoples and nations. Numerous scandals are bringing souls to ruin, particularly through the corruption of the youth. Stirred up and unrestrained in the enjoyment of the pleasures of the world, they have degraded their spirit in corruption and sin. The bad example of parents trains the family in scandal and infidelity instead of virtue and prayer, which is almost dead on the lips of many. Then Our Lady appeared and said, Clouds with lightning, flashes of fire in the sky, 
and a tempest of fire shall fall upon the world. This terrible scourge, never before seen in the history of humanity, will last 70 hours. Godless persons will be crushed and wiped out. Many will be lost because they remain in their hard-heartedness of sin. Then shall be seen the power of light over the power of darkness. On Good Friday, April 8, 1955, Our Lady again appeared to Blessed Elena with this message for the world. Tremendous will be the upheaval of the whole world, because men, as at the time of the deluge, have lost God's way and are ruled by the spirit of Satan. If men do not amend their ways, a terrifying scourge of fire will come down from heaven upon all the nations of the world. And men will be punished according to the debts owed to divine justice. There will be frightful moments for all, because heaven will be joined with the earth. And all the ungodly people will be destroyed. Some nations will be purified, while others will disappear entirely. On December 8, 1956, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, Our Lady said to Blessed Elena, If I were to show you the number of sins committed in a single day, you would die of horror and sorrow. The sins that distress God the most are those of the souls who should perfume the air with the fragrance of their virtues. Instead, they contaminate those who come near them. The times are grievous. The whole world is in turmoil because it has become worse than at the time of the deluge. Italy, my daughter, will be humiliated, purified in blood, and must suffer much because many are the sins of this beloved country. Seed of the Vicar of Christ. You cannot imagine what will happen. In those sad days, there will be much anguish and weeping. There will be a great revolution and the streets will be red with blood. The Pope will suffer much and all this suffering will be like an agony, which will shorten his earthly pilgrimage. His successor will guide the boat in the great storm. Through prayer and penance, my mercy will be able to hold back the hand of God's justice. In 1959, Our Lady spoke again to Blessed Elena of the chastisements coming to the world. Russia will march upon all the nations of Europe, particularly Italy, and will raise her flag over the Dome of St. Peter's.
Italy will be severely tried by a great revolution, and Rome will be purified in blood for its many sins, especially those of impurity. The flock is about to be dispersed, and the Pope must suffer greatly. The world will be once more afflicted with great calamity, with bloody revolutions, with great earthquakes, with famines, with epidemics, with fearful hurricanes, and with floods from rivers and seas. But if men do not return to God, purifying fire will fall from the heavens like snowstorms on all peoples, and a great part of humanity will be destroyed. On Good Friday, April 15, 1960, Our Lady spoke in greater detail of the coming chastisements. How youth live in perdition! How many innocent souls find themselves enwrapped in a chain of scandals! The world has become as a flooded valley, overflowing with filth and mud. Some of the most difficult trials of divine justice are yet to come, before the deluge of fire. Soon terrifying manifestations will be seen, which will make even the most hardened sinners tremble. Great calamities will come upon the world, which will bring confusion, tears, struggles, and pain. Great earthquakes will swallow up entire cities and countries and will bring epidemics, famine, and terrible destruction, especially where the sins of darkness are, those of pagan or anti-God nations. I will manifest my partiality for Italy, which will be preserved from the fire. But the skies will be covered with dense darkness, and the earth will be shaken by fearful earthquakes, which will open deep abysses. Provinces and cities will be destroyed, and all will cry out that the end of the world has come. Even Rome will be punished according to justice for its many and serious sins. Because here, sin has reached its peak. A week later, on the Feast of the Immaculate Heart, April 22nd, 1960, Our Lady again appeared to Blessed Elena and said, If the people do not recognize in these scourges of nature the warnings of divine mercy and do not return to God with truly Christian living, another terrible war will come from the east to the west 
Russia, with her secret armies, will battle America, will overrun Europe. The River Rhine will be overflowing with corpses and blood. Italy will also be harassed by a great revolution, and the Pope will suffer terribly. Satan goes furiously through this disordered world and soon will show all his might. But because of my immaculate heart, the triumph of light will not delay in its triumph over the power of darkness. And the world, finally, will have tranquility and peace. Three months before her death, Our Lady appeared once more to Blessed Elena on Good Friday, March 23, 1961. Our Lady's final words of warning to the world through Blessed Elena. Once there was the chastisement by water, but if there is not a returning to God, there will come the chastisement by fire which will cover the streets of the world with blood. Russia, spurred on by Satan, will seek to dominate the whole world, and by bloody revolutions, will propagate her false teachings throughout all the nations, especially in Italy. If we take the situation's world history from its beginning, what kind of grade could we give it between 1 and 10? If I told you the flood 
is the one that'd be hard to believe. But our world today, where it is not at one, not at five, it's a ten. You mean a friend, Medjugorje, you're saying before the flood, the wickedness is the one, and on the same scale, we're at ten? Yes, I'm telling you that. They had no ability to do what's happening right now. In our age now, man created in God's own image is being changed. Anti-human, anti-God, anti-Christ, satanic. From here on, you parents, any youth listening, what is going to be exposed is not for their ears. What I'm going to be telling you now is so vile, it's even hard for adults. So this is not for the youth to hear. We're going to give you a little break so that the youth have time to leave the room. ever been don't turn around until you reach the end across the sea and beyond the distant lands the world awaits so don't make any plans there you go
This broadcast is only for adults. Transgenderism is defined, is the fact. You see what they're saying in the definition? The fact, it's not a fact. But they say the fact of not having your gender match the body you were born with. This word is often used by people who think that this is a bad thing. It's a definition. Even the dictionary has an agenda. They're teaching this across the country in grammar school. Where is this going? It's going to transhumanism. And that's defined as the theory. So you see that? They're saying theory. That science and technology can help human beings develop beyond what is physical and mentally possible at the present time. You're going to hear a clip right now by Jesse Kelly, a talk show host. He's going to play a clip about a mother who had a baby. And at 18 months, she begins to say the little girl was a boy. Jesse Kelly will play the mother talking about the baby girl was a boy. And this mother is from Louisiana, very Catholic. Now go back to the thought before the flood, compared to what they were, compared to what's happened now, everywhere. It's shocking. There are some really, really evil things going on in medical schools across this country. Ah, Wrap your mind around this. Listen to this mother again. This is taking place, in case you're wondering where this is, this is taking place in Louisiana. She's giving a testimony before the Louisiana State Congress. Listen to this. I'm going to let it play. It's a little long. Listen to this deep sickness and listen to the parts of the medical industry that are very clearly aiding this deep sickness in mutilating this poor little girl. I was Christmas shopping for them. They were 18 months old and I bought one of those toy tool benches and I was making the joke that, well, when one of them comes to me and says they're a man when they're 18, I can't say I didn't see it coming just because they kind of did draw the boy toys and I was just making a joke. But I am so glad I said it out loud because I have that in my mind now that at 18 months old, something, something somewhere was telling me what he knew all along. Um, when he could start talking, he articulated to me that he was a boy. Mommy, I'm a boy. Mommy, I'm a boy. And both of my kids did. Mommy, I'm a puppy. All that. It's, it was very different. And we drug our feet on it because, what? You know, it's normal to not understand that, obviously. Um, so we saw therapists and we saw doctors. And ultimately, we came to know what he has known all along, which is that he really is a boy. He really is. And... I will be starting um, gender-affirming care for him. He's been seeing doctors for years, and it is a very long process. They are very thorough. So now that he is uh, almost 11 and starting puberty, we are discussing puberty blockers. And what that would do, it would prevent him from growing the body of a woman. Because I promise you, he's not a woman. He shouldn't be in a woman's body. And honestly, I don't think he could survive if we forced him into it. I really don't. So we will find that care for him. I will go to the ends of the earth if I had to for either of these children. And we'll probably just go to New York, not the ends of the earth, but um, if this bill passes. 
That's what evil sounds like. Don't don't depersonalize it. That's an 11-year-old girl. <laughs> an 11-year-old girl who has been so abused mentally by her demon of her mother, psychiatrists, doctors, that at 11 years old, they're about to start injecting her with things that will help wreck her life, and then they'll eventually put her under the knife and make sure her life is completely wrecked. Again, this is, this is back to a consistent theme we've been talking about on the show recently. Are we a nation worthy of freedom? Not every nation's worthy of freedom. I don't know that we are. It comes back to our nation. We got to humble ourselves to exercise these demons and what they're doing. And that's why I'm calling you to come July 1st to the 5th. We need to be a body, one body, to give the prayers to Our Lady, a place where she has said for a nation is healing that she hasn't done any other nation in the world, only here for this country. How evil is this? How bad is this? Here's another clip of a girl went through transgender. She will give a testimony. What happened to her? You say, while we play this, you need to understand what's going on right underneath your nose and to your kids and your kids in grammar school. And it's growing. It's not receding. Listen to this girl, what she is going through. I'm Chloe Cole, and I am a detransitioner who transitioned medically as a 13-year-old girl. Today is special because it marks the one-year anniversary of me speaking out on my experience of enduring the worst medical scandal in American history. Or it would have been if the Louisiana Health and Welfare Committee let me speak when I was here. You didn't allow me to testify last year. It begs the question, what is so scary about a detransitioner? Is it the fact that we lend proof to the idea that so-called gender-affirming care is a complete scan? Is it because it makes it harder to ignore institutionally backed medical abuse carried out on children? Can you no longer turn a blind eye to it in favor of the medical lobbyists that stand between you and your moral compass? I exist. I will speak despite your best efforts. Doctors medicalized me starting puberty blockers and testosterone at 13 years old. I didn't know what things like cervixes or ovulation were or how the full menstrual cycle worked yet, but I was cleared by adults who had a full understanding of such things to make a decision that would affect my fertility, the onward development of my sexual organs, and the complex processes unique to me as a woman. I was given a double mastectomy, and my breasts, an important part of my sexuality and future motherhood, were removed in the name of political ideology at only 15 years old. And when I went to my surgeon to get help from my complications, like fluid leaking out of my areolar grafts, I got dismissed in a Zoom call with advice that gave me a skin infection. Try to ignore that. You can't. When you attempt to ignore that, you're also ignoring the thousands of detransitioners I personally corresponded with. I am just the tip of the iceberg. You are so incredibly fortunate that there aren't dozens of us testifying in front of you today. But that will come soon if you keep ignoring this problem. You have a chance to act now. My parents were told by my doctors that there was no choice other than having a dead daughter or a living trans son. My parents' biggest mistake was trusting them. 
At 17, high doses of testosterone were injected into my anorexic body, and one year later, my healthy breasts were removed. Testosterone had severe and irreversible impacts that I will live with for the rest of my life. My large, painful shoulders match my overgrown heart, an increased risk for heart attack and stroke. My back and joints ache constantly. Even as I sit before you, it hurts to speak. I am suffering with severe vaginal atrophy, which prevents me from even using tampons. Large parts of my adult life were taken from me as a mentally ill teenager, and I mourn this loss every day. My trauma was never looked into, and my desire to hurt myself was supported by my doctors and the community around me. I was exploited in my most vulnerable time, and body parts were removed from me. Two weeks before I was written, written my letter of recommendation for breast removal, I was in the mental hospital for another suicide attempt. My letter said that I was stable. My surgeon didn't care about the scars and fresh wounds all over my body when he looked at them when he made me take off my shirt. He was ready to cut me up more. Now I live in a painful body that no longer belongs to me. The trans community tells you to kill your old self with a dead name and everything, and I did. The girl I was was gone and has been replaced by a medical experiment. I support any bill that prevents someone else from suffering the harms of gender-affirming care. Does that make you want to murder a doctor? Maybe we can't do that, but they need to go to literature for just doing something like this. This is unspeakable, impossible to have these thoughts 20 years ago. Look at where we are. Just as the tip of the iceberg. The Netherlands amended their suicide law to be expanded to include termination of life in children age 1 to 12. The Dutch government stated this a month ago. The post they stated said that termination of life is the only reasonable alternative to end a hopeless and unbearable suffering of the child. The Netherlands was the first country to legalize euthanasia. That's back in 2002. See, this goes one crack in the door. Look where it ends. Where are we going from here? Oh, but they got some mercy on the law. Oh, you can't kill the baby until his first birthday. Does that shock you? Does it stun you? These are doctors who's doing this. What you just heard about all these operations, the Nazis were evil and they're wicked what they did. These doctors even surpass the Nazis. And now we got Biden just recently made a bizarre claim that there's no such thing as someone else's child meeting that the government, your children belong to them. Where is our bishops on this stuff? What Biden, he's violated everything repeatedly that gives everything for the bishops to excommunicate. Why have they not done to Biden? I don't understand it. Our church is in trouble. More trouble than you could ever imagine. But the world is in a position of what blessed Lena spoke of, and we are under judgment. God said he never would punish the world again with the flood. He gave the rainbow as a promise. 
Who stole this? Who has this? The trans, all the Bonobos. And look where we are now. In the poor man, God, Jesus says, because God will not destroy the world again, the punishment that will be coming is by man. He's going to inflict himself the punishment. I've talked to you about Yvonne the visionary said, Satan has a master intellect. You know what's happening now? It's called transableism. What does that mean? They're trying to now to have a protected class of people for the government to protect those who want to mutilate their bodies to achieve long-desired disability. Jennings White spent most of her days in a wheelchair. By choice. She had no disability. The only reason she has had surgery is because it's too costly. She thinks it would be the happiest day of her life if she was to have surgery. She often dreams about being in a car accident to realize her dream of becoming a paraplegic. I just read that to you. It may be hard to understand, but you never heard of it. I've never heard of it. It's unbelievable. She wants to be paralyzed. Her dream is to really not be able to walk for the rest of her life. And she would do it to get the doctors, and they would do it, but it's too costly. Another transabled woman named Jewel went blind by blinding herself with drain cleaner in her eyes. She found a psychiatrist who was willing to help her with the process. He told her, the psychiatrist, if you go do research, I'll help you. Are you shocked by that? That he would help her to become blind? Jewel gave the therapist, the drain cleaner, they put drops in her eyes and waited for 30 minutes to ensure the damage was done before rushing her to the hospital. There's another case that the person wanted to amputate perfectly healthy limbs. If you want to read this article, the title is, Will It Emerge the New Protected Class? UncoverDC.com All this is surreal. But we're living in a time that is satanic. And we don't know what's coming next. And where are our bishops? Where are they? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Your silence. Nobody speaks about nothing about this from the diocese. They should be screaming. The Catholics have enough people to stop these things. If it comes to the priest from the authority of the bishops, and we don't have that. We have was in sheep's clothing. I've said this many times. I don't apologize for that. I respect the position of the apostles of the bishops. They don't. I've said this over and over. We are the peasants in the pew. We're dirt to you. You do nothing. It's time that we get mad. Get in front of the bishop's face. Tell them you're sick of their inactions. You're killing the church and you're killing the people. Thank you, bishops. 
They're closing their hospitals and their churches and all this. Thank you, bishops. So just today, listen to this. What is reported this morning by Glenn Beck, who's not a Catholic, but was raised a Catholic. Federal government recently told a Catholic hospital in Oklahoma to either blow out its small candle or stop serving the elderly, disabled, and low-income patients. St. Francis Health System is the 12th largest hospital in the nation. The health system cares for 400,000 patients a year. It has given away more than $650 million in free medical care in the past five years alone. It employs 11,000 Oklahomans. Oklahomans. St. Francis' mission is to extend the presence and healing ministry of Christ in addition to providing compassionate and top-notch care to its patients. St. Francis lives out its religious mission by maintaining multiple chapels throughout the hospital. Each has been blessed by the local bishop. So what is the problem? If you're a Catholic, you will understand this right away. If you are not, let me educate just a little bit. 1960, they open their doors and they have a sanctuary candle. If you walk into any Catholic church, there is always one either hanging from the ceiling or on a pillar somewhere near the altar, and it is in double glass, and it is a giant candle that burns constantly. The candle is never out. It's there, this is something that Catholics, uh, it is the ever-present uh, representation of the living Christ that he is always with us so this is a really big deal to Catholics well the uh, government has come in and uh, decided that they have to get rid of that open flame it's been there since 1960 uh, they got to re- get rid of that open flame because it poses a danger let me explain the flame is not near medical equipment and patients. It's shielded by two glass holders. It sits on a brass basin, is affixed to the wall, has a brass top covering it, and sprinkler heads just above it. But the federal government said, we're going to shut you down unless you put the flame out. Well, unfortunately, um, there is an attorney... That didn't like that too much. And she just wrote Secretary Becerra and said, in 25 days, you will cripple the operation of the premier, one of the premier hospitals in the state of Oklahoma, simply because they keep a candle in the hospital chapel. If you refuse to accredit St. Francis Hospital South, it will result in such unreasonable financial losses to the St. Francis Health System that it will, would abruptly and immediately jeopardize its services to the elderly, disabled, low-income patients that rely on Medicare. Medicaid, Children's Health Insurance Program, yada, yada, yada. Uh, If you go to court, you will lose. I write in the hopes that you will see reason or at least the law and we can skip to the easy part. That attorney is with us now. Her name is Lori Windham and she is part of the Beckett. She's vice president and senior counsel at the Beckett Law Firm. Uh, Hello, Lori. Lynn, hello. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, I, 
I read your letter and it made me all warm inside. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so this is this isn't about. I mean, the the hospital has pilot lights. Uh, they have flames that are all over the hospital. That if you extinguish this one, you would have to turn off all of the pilot lights. But they're not asking for that. This is clearly an attack on the religion. You know, I have been doing religious liberty work for many years now at Beckett. That's all we do. And this one shocked even me. I'm not easily shocked anymore. But the idea that a federal agency is going to come after your ability to serve the poor, the elderly, and the disabled just over a sanctuary candle when they're willing to make waivers for all these other things. This is not how any of this is supposed to work. So, uh, I mean, I, I like your confidence that you're going to lose uh, and you would you would lose with this Supreme Court. Um, but how open and shut is it uh, locally in circuit courts? How, how open and shut is this? Uh, it is open and shut because we have first the Constitution, which our federal agencies ought to be paying attention to. Uh, and we also have laws in the books like the Religious Restoration Act that make it clear that if the government is going to restrict your religious exercise, it has to have a very good reason. This is a textbook case of not having a good reason. Uh, but I, I want to tell you, this is breaking right now. We just got a letter from CMS saying that they have seen the light. And in fact, <laughs> they are going to allow the candle to continue oh. to glow and to light the chapel. What? Now, see, this is even a happier ending than I thought we had. <laughs> Thank you for breaking that news. Uh, so this is over because you guys stood up. That's exactly right. And that's what's so important to know. You know, you get these these letters from these federal bureaucrats, and they think that if they just tell the religious people, no, you don't really have to do this. No, you're going to pay, you know, this unbelievable amount of money if you don't give in, that people are just going to give in. And it shows the power of a single candle. It shows the power of someone who's willing to stand up and say, no, this is my faith, and I'm going to fight for it. I'm not going to buckle. So you see what happened just for a candle? Shutting down a hospital? What's next? We can't sit twiddling our thumbs. We need to take action. And I just give a whole book of hundreds of messages that gives a solution. Whatever happens in this country, the United States, is going to happen to the world. And this place here, thousands of you have come you got memories, and nobody leaves here without being touched. So we're putting this call out very strong to come from July 1st to the 5th. I want to play a commercial to flame up your experiences here to motivate you to plan to come July 1st to the 5th. Well, what you're going to hear was about Christmas time. But there's many of you out there hearing this You've been here, and we pray this, to put this in your heart and make these plans. Not the vacation this summer, not just for pleasanties, but here in those five days, you'll feel much better than any kind of vacation you can have. 
When the apparition started here in 1988, it was so mystical. We were stupefied by what was taking place. When Our Lady appeared in the field, people gathered there. The apparition would take place in the bedroom. And we would turn the light on when Our Lady came. And people would look to the south at the house, see it glowing. And they knew Our Lady was there. And when the apparition ended, we turned it off. It accentuated the experience. And it moved people very, very deeply. There was a journalist that was in the field on November 1988 with the Birmingham Magazine. And he published his experience. One of the curious, I arrived on a November Sunday as an early full moon hauled itself up over the blue Alabama hills. I walked a worn cattle trail down a hill and up a grassy rise, my feet raising the smell of new hay. On the hilltop, I paused, amazed. Below me spread a scene from El Cid or some other religious epic of the screen. 3,000 people waited in that Alabama field, in a hollow that held them like a pair of gentle hands. Many here had been waiting all day. Now, these faces turned to the house where Maria lay waiting for her vision. A ruffle of emotion swept the crowd. The feeling leaped across the field, a visible, physical jolt to some. The lights burned. Four minutes. Five minutes. The hillside settled, grew quiet. When the lights went off, a quick noise swept the throng, then moved on, leaving reverence and quiet sobs. The writer, the observer, came back to life in me then and detached me from that remarkable experience. Look around you. This is faith. I glanced upward, too. There in the heavens hung another unforgettable sight. Over the house and field that night, the full moon wore a huge autumn halo, the largest I ever saw. Its circle of light seemed larger than the world. through the years people tell us over and over when they turn off the highway to come back here after the experiences they've had throughout the years even when Arlie's not here that they feel like they're coming home for many many years we've had Christmas in the field December 8th to the 12th 
During that time, I began to turn in the lights on in the house. Not just the front porch light, but every light in the house. And it glows. And people look from the field, or Christmas in the field, and they see the house glowing. It's a remembrance of those beautiful times that he's been here. Not just 1988 and 89, but the many times that he's come. But until then, I want you to know If you look south, you'll see a glow Every light in the house is on The backyard's bright as a crack of dawn The front walk looks like runway lights It's kinda like noon in the dead of night Every light in the house is on just in case you ever do get tired of being gone Every light in the house is on So I want to tell you, just in case you ever do get tired of being gone Every light in the house is on On Christmas in the field And for you who've been away make a spontaneous decision to come to your home and pray in the bedroom of apparitions and fill your heart with Our Lady. It refreshes you to see that house where Our Lady came, being in the field, seeing all those lights on. People have told us Christmas night in the field is the strongest part of their Christmas where they feel it. a spur-of-the-moment decision and come to Caritas. Every place in the continental U.S. is within 48 hours of driving time. For more information, contact Caritas in the U.S. at 205-672-2000. For those traveling from outside the United States, dial 001-205-672-2000. Come to a place away from the filth and the mud and the things you heard was happening and be at a place where heaven has come down 204 times. Beautiful stories, whether it's Christmas or in July, it will give you hope 
And it will give Our Lady hope because we're there for the hope of our nation and for her plans. The summer nights all lit up for our consecrations on July 3rd and 4th. It's very beautiful and very moving. Spray this. Tell everybody. Bring your prayer groups and drop everything and come to this holy ground. We wish you, Our Lady. We love you. We'll be looking for you. We love you. Good night.